Welcome back to Sound Insight. Let's pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. I thank you and praise you, Lord, for who you are, for all that you've done for us. And Lord, I just ask that you'd bless us as intercessors. I pray that those who are listening, they, you might um, just generously distribute among us gifts of intercession. Lord, help us to have a vision of what it means to intercede. Help us to have a, uh, a way of seeing intercession that goes beyond what we imagine it to be. Thank you, Lord. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today, talking about intercessory prayer, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal with this in two parts. I'm going to give sort of a teaching about intercession today, and then I'm going to let that lead into sort of having the heart of an intercessor. I, I probably will end up there, but I won't finish the entire teaching, because I'm going to talk about it in terms of the priestly ministry that we share in. We share in the priestly ministry of Christ, not just ordained priests, but through baptism, we all share in the ministry of Christ. We are anointed, we are Christians, anointed as priests, prophets, and kings. We share in that anointing, and that's where I get lead, provide, and protect, right? You got this, right? The king, the kingly mission of Christ is that servant leadership, and as servant leaders who are willing to serve, washing feet, right? Washing the feet of the apostles at the Last Supper. This was an example of the leader goes first, takes that initiative to go first, even when it is challenging, difficult, and it means what? Taking the hits, being willing to uh, even put your life on the line, pour your life out. So it's going first, and it's um, it's influencing others to go in that same direction. So that's the kingly ministry. So as I've done, so you must also do, Jesus said in John 13. So we share in the kingly ministry of Christ, but we also share in the prophetic ministry of Christ, and that's where we're called upon to preach, to speak the truth that people most need to hear. Not just speak the truth, but speak the truth that the people most need to hear in that moment, not our own personal, like, oh, this is what I want to be said. This is what I am most, uh, what I embrace as most important. But we have to listen deeply to the situations of those that we're talking with and speak to them a word that will help them take the right next step forward. That's really a challenging ministry because a prophet isn't just about doom and gloom, but a prophet is, hey, let me speak a word to you that will help you uh, take the action that you need to in order to uh, rescue, in order to preserve, in order to um, uh, uh, be the the leader that, that the Lord wants you to be. So the prophet speaks the truth in love, speaks the truth in love. And so that also means, though, that we might speak challenging truths, right? Challenging truths that are hard to hear, hard to receive, not always pleasant, not always easy, but that's the call of the prophet. So that prophetic call that is ours is uh, is is that call to speak the truth in love, and to serve up as much of the truth that they can actually receive. Don't overwhelm them just because you see more than they they're able to take in. You don't just lay that all out there. You put out there what they can actually take in. So there's the king, there's the pr- uh, prophet, and there's the priest. So the priestly call. What does a priest do? The priest. You think of that service in the temple, right? You think of that service in the holy place. The priest goes before the people, but goes on behalf of the people. There it is, the mediator role, that going between role. And so the priest's call is as a mediator to represent God before the people and the people before God. You can see he's like a bridge, right? The priest is like a bridge. And there's, there's that two-way flowing, the, the provision that comes down from heaven, that comes from God to the people. He uses his priests as these conduits of, of blessings, of graces, of sanctifying grace through the sacraments, right? 
But then there's also that role of the priest going before God on behalf of the people. And that's where intercession comes in. That was a long way around, wasn't it? So what I'm going to talk about today as this call to intercede, this call to intercede, that it's something that we're all called to share in. We all are called to intercede in some way in our lives. And uh, that should be a part of our our prayer life. And uh, intercessory prayer is linked to, it's traced back to, that priestly call that is all of ours. Again, not to the sacramental ordination, right? Not to the sacrament of holy orders, but rather through baptism, we are conformed to Jesus Christ. We are, uh, we are made members of the body, incorporated into the very life of Christ so that Jesus Christ lives in you. That's, so, that's what's so overwhelming. That's what's so amazing is that we don't just mimic Christ at a distance trying to copy what he did and said, but rather he, the head, is living within his body and moves through us into the world. So Christ to the priest is still at work in this world. So his very heart, his very heart of intercession just might come alive in us in ways that are surprising, unexpected, and truly transformative. So today in the program, I'm going to share with you some teaching about intercessory prayer and intercession. And in doing that, hopefully it'll encourage you to allow that aspect of your prayer life to grow to come alive, to advance, to develop, right? So that, that's, the, that's the call. And that's my little sip of tea right there to keep my throat going. All right, so what do I mean by intercession? Um, have, how many times have you come into contact with someone? This, this has happened to me so often um, because when I'm speaking in churches or you know, just doing church ministry work, people say, will you pray for me? Or... Or they'll say, oh, I'll pray for you, or let's pray for each other. And how often does that happen? I can I, I remember how many times where, like, I'd see someone maybe after Mass, and they'll say, let's pray for each other, okay? Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll pray for you, and, and you pray for me. They'll say, I'll be praying for you, and then my natural thing to back to say, oh, sure, and I'll pray for you, too. And then when I see them again at some future point, like maybe a year later or some extended period later, I'll, I'll see them and they come up to me and then they'll say this. They'll look me in the eyes and they'll say, I've been praying for you in this intention, that intention that you asked me to pray for every single day since I've seen you. And, you know, isn't that a powerful statement? I've been praying for you faithfully every day and bringing that prayer request that you had for me before the Lord in my daily prayer time. And then I look at them, I who had reciprocated that many months ago, I would pray for them every day. I look at them and I say, thank you. (laughs) I laugh, but it's not funny. Thank you. Thanks. Um, That's the difference between someone who may be like says prayers of intercession and someone who is an intercessor. Today in the program, I'm going to invite you to ask the Lord to make you an intercessor. Not just to say, I will occasionally 
say a prayer for someone else. But no, to have the heart of an intercessor. My hope is in, in sharing this teaching that you'll want to become one, an intercessor. And if you are an intercessor, if you have that heart, like that person that I just said who would see me after that extended period and say, I've been praying for you faithfully every day. That uh, I want to encourage you to follow that path so that that would be the spirit that lives in you, that spirit of intercession, okay? Now, we're all called to intercede. That I, I mentioned that at the beginning. And if you take a look at the catechism, you'll see that there are four types of prayer, like sort of four types of prayer. The first one in the highest form of prayer is called praise. I'm going to talk about praise later in the week, okay? But praise, I'm going to use, and I'm going to put into that basket in that word praise, I'm going to put into that basket adoration to adore, which has more to do with silence, with worship, and with blessing. The blessing, it's interesting, the catechism uses the word that to bless someone and to bless God is a kind of prayer. But I, the, the, those are, I want to call those many facets of the word praise. So the four types of prayer, to praise, to thank, to petition, and to intercede. To praise, thank, petition, and intercede. And um, in fact, when I would teach my kids how to pray, you might want to think about this, and we would drive them to school, we would do PTPIA, PTPIA, praise, thank, petition, intercede, and ask for intercession. P, praise, T, thank, P, petition, I, intercession, and A, ask for intercession. That means asking for a saint to praise you. Uh, to, to pray for you, not to praise you, <laughs> to pray for you. And my kids would learn, PTPIA, uh, oh Lord, I praise you for who you are and uh, that you are an amazing God. And I thank you, Lord, for the gift of this day. Lord, I, I ask for blessings, petition. I ask for blessings upon my test that I'm going to take today. And Lord, I just, I intercede for my teacher who is, has been sick and out of school for a few days. And Lord, I ask for the intercession of St. Elizabeth of Hungary to pray for me. That's PTPIA. And so I would teach my kids to speak a prayer that incorporated those four fundamental types of praying, four different ways of coming before God. Now, you might notice that there's a difference between these kinds of prayer, and the two that are like most linked together seem to be petition and intercession. What's the difference between petition and intercession. Well, petition is you're praying for yourself. Intercession is where you're interceding. You're going before God on behalf of someone else. That's that priestly ministry. You're not praying for yourself. You're praying for others. You're carrying them to the Lord. So that's what intercession is. And so when we think about this reality of our call to intercede, there are certain things that get in the way. There are obstacles, obstacles to our whole prayer life, and obstacles that show up really clearly when it comes time to intercede, to pray for others. And one of those obstacles to prayer. These are things that, by the way, I'm not making these up. These are in the Catechism of the Catholic Church in that section on the battle of prayer. The first is a lack of humility. These are things that will get in the way to us being fruitful intercessors. If we're not humble, we get in our own way, if we're self-important or self-centered or selfish, that it's all about me. There's not going to be a lot of room in there 
to pray for others. And so it, it, it's going to take a bit of humility for us to become intercessors, to really have that heart that says, I'm going to bring others before the Lord in prayer. So a lack of humility really can drain the fruitfulness of our intercessory prayer. And you can see how that that can get in the way, especially when we are the most desperate. We don't, we want to control the situation, and we're most desperate. And it's like we 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 almost make demands of God. We'll make demands of God, and and that's hard. And we'll talk a bit about that later. So lack of humility. In other words, a lack of faith. We just don't expect much from God. We've been disappointed, maybe with life, or just disappointed um, with our uh, our own prayer, and we. We haven't seen a lot of, uh, we haven't seen God answer a lot of prayers, and, and because of that, it's easy to to lose that sense of expectant faith that, in fact, God has something amazing in store, that He's longing to give to you. So lack of faith, and so pray for expectant faith. That's a beautiful charism of the Holy Spirit, an expectant faith that God is waiting to bless us even more than we're waiting to be blessed, that he is ready to pour forth good things into our lives and into the situations of those we're praying for even more than we want to see God bless those situations. Lastly is a, is a lack of hope. Lack of hope, I'm going to just say here, is that you know not having confidence in God, but also just being distracted we get distracted by maybe our own attempts to address things, so we hope in ourselves, hope in our own strategies, hope in our own thinking, hope in just kind of close your eyes, buckle up, and just hope everything works out. So we don't have a tremendous confidence that Jesus has made promises to us, and he's faithful to his promises, and he'll be faithful to answer your prayers. And so that's another obstacle toward being really fruitful when we're interceding for others. Lastly is love. A lack of faith, hope, love, hope, and love, right? What's a lack of love is, is a lack of self-giving, where we really aren't that interested in committing a whole lot. We're not just interested in committing a whole lot of our time, our energy, our focus, our attention on the Lord. We would just maybe, can't I just like say a prayer and be done? And there's a way in which we remain at a distance from the situation of those that we're praying for. And again, this is something I'm going to pick up on more either later in the program when we talk about the heart of an intercessor, um, or it'll overflow into tomorrow. Um, And it's the way in which God's Word will sow into our hearts in a way that will become that Word. And the same is true as intercessors. I'll, I'll explain more what that means a little bit later in the program, or maybe tomorrow, as we explore the reality of intercession on Sound Insight back in a minute. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Carnan. It's great to be with you. So today I'm talking about the reality of being an intercessor. And I got to tell you, becoming an intercessor, like having the heart of an intercessor will change your life. It will. And um, I'm I'm going into this teaching. And so I, I don't mean it just to be of interest to you. I want it to impact you. And for those of you that are intercessors that have found that to be um, like a cornerstone of your own life of prayer, I know that you're saying, yes, yes, Uh, because it is not only so powerfully transformative to one's own life in terms of living a Christ-like life, 
Because it becomes a way for any one of us to pour out our lives in faith, hope, and love before the Lord, which makes us holy. It also makes us really useful to God and fruitful, and we get to see God move in powerful ways. There's just like benefits that abound all over the place if we're willing to really give ourselves over to the reality of intercession. So I don't want that to be lost, okay? So now that we understand these obstacles, a lack of humility, a lack of faith, lack of hope, and a lack of love, um, let's talk about the need for intercession. The need for it, that's a big word, right? Because if you stop and think about it, you look at the Sermon on the Mount, and we'll discover that God gives us good things without us. God gives us good things without us. In other words, he gave you the gift of life without you. You had very little say in the matter. No, you had no say in the matter. And in fact, God continues to lavish good things upon your life. Uh, And how many of them could we list out whether it's health and family and faith and, and, and safety and peace and freedom and, and prosperity, right? Just so many good things from God uh, that, you know, he gave them to us without us. Mark, Matthew six thirty three, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be given to you. The Lord gives us so many things without us. In fact, God gives us good things despite us. Yeah, that one's a little more surprising. God gives us good things despite us. So for instance, in 2 Kings chapter 3, Solomon, here he is. Now he's the king. And so as the king, he's supposed to what? Remember, go first, lead the way, show the way, influence others to walk in the way. And he had a job. Right, and leading the people. The first place he was supposed to lead them by pointing towards giving them a goal, giving them a destination, was towards the true God, the one God, towards Yahweh, the faithful one. And so that was his job, to uphold this orthodoxy, if you will, this right way of worshiping God. Well, in Second Kings chapter 3, something's happening. And what's happening is Solomon decides to go to a high place, not to the temple that he rebuilt, but to this high place. And in this high place, what does he do? He offers sacrifice, not just a little, but a huge amount of cattle he has offered up in sacrifice on this altar to a false god. And let's just say, this is like the worst act for the king. It is idolatry. It's blasphemy. It's false worship. And here he is setting this huge example. Well, that night he's sleeping in the temple, in that high place. Like, and the Lord speaks to him. Okay, now, if you're going to get woken by God in the middle of the night and God's going to speak to you, what do you think God's going to say to you? What do you think you're going to say when God shakes you awake and there you are and you're like caught red-handed? Oh no, what have I done? I'm here and I'm completely exposed. And you know what the Lord says to him? Ask something of me and I will give it to you. Ask something of me and I will give it to you. 
stunning. It, Solomon did, deserved nothing like that from God. It was despite how he was living, despite his radical infidelity, he was offered the opportunity to ask the Lord for any blessing. And, he rece- and what did he ask for? Discernment. Good decision, Solomon. I need discernment to know what's right and wrong and to know how to lead these people. Wow, isn't that stunning? We think of Solomon as the wisest man who ever lived, the wisest man on earth. Well, he got his wisdom exactly at that point in his life poured upon him as a gift from God where he had fundamentally betrayed his call. He betrayed the Lord. He betrayed his people. (laughs) God gives us good things despite us. So God gives us good things without us. God gives us good things despite us. But God also gives us good things with us. In other words, he uses our cooperation. He asks for us to approach him freely, with confidence, with courage, with determination. How do you want to receive? It's not hidden in the Gospels. If you want to receive from the Lord, it's not a secret. If you want to receive, ask. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For anyone who asks, everyone who asks, receives. All who seek, find. All who knock, the door will be opened. The Lord is ready and waiting to bless us. And he uses, what, several parables that have to do with the manner of asking. We'll unfold some of that, right? We'll unfold some of that idea of um, of the uh, like meaning of asking, like what's the mode of asking, right? You think of the, the, the importunate widow, right? The one who's desperate, who just keeps pestering the unjust judge or the neighbor who has a friend who comes in at late at night and he has no food. So he goes and knocks on the door of the neighbor and, until he gets up and gives him food. These are examples. These are teachings that Jesus gives for how we ought to be asking for good things from God. Pretty striking that asking isn't just ask once, nothing happened. Okay, we're all done. No, these are parables of persistence, consistency, pressing on, pressing in, and doing so with that confidence that Jesus is true to his word and he's going to bless this situation. In fact, there's also a sense that God gives us good things with us is also connected to our holiness. The more that we are near to God in likeness, the more that our union with the Lord is perfecting and that our lives are conforming to Jesus Christ, that his delight in answering our prayers, his quickness in in hearing our prayers, and really, frankly, think about it, the more that our prayers that we're asking of him will be conformed to what he wants to give us because our union with the Lord is perfecting the union of our will with his, so we will only want from God what he wants to give us. James 5.16, the prayers of a holy person are effective. So um, this need for intercession is real. 
because there are blessings that the Lord does intend to give, and he intends to give us um, when we, in fact, ask him. And what I think is this, is that I think we get intercessory prayer all wrong. We tend to think that we are the initiators of intercessory prayer, right? Because intercessory prayer, what are we doing? We're going before God on behalf of other people. And so here's how we think about it in our minds. We think about it as if we are approaching God to get him to notice a situation he hasn't seen and or isn't paying attention to and to get him to do something that he hasn't thought about. And so I want you to say that again. We often will intercede for others as if we are the ones taking the initiative, bringing to God's attention a person or a situation that he isn't noticing, and, and encouraging him to do something that he hadn't thought about it. So like, like, Lord, I come before you today on behalf of Aunt Betty. Lord, Aunt Betty is really sick. She's in the hospital. Lord, please heal Aunt Betty. Lord, guide the doctors. Guide their treatments and the medications, Lord, that she'd be healed quickly. Lord, she has a family that needs her. Please heal Aunt Betty. Amen. And you say, you say that prayer, and it's almost like this. It's like, how do you think God is hearing that prayer? But we often hear it is, uh, Lord, Aunt Betty is sick. She's in the hospital. And God is like, what? What are you talking about? I didn't know that. Whoa, when did that happen? <laughs> And Lord, she has a family. And Lord, please heal her. Help the doctors to find out what's wrong and give them the the guidance to offer the right medication. And then the Lord is like, that is a great idea. I hadn't thought of that. Let me do that. (laughs) That is not, intercessory prayer is not our attempt to get God to notice a situation he hasn't seen and to do something he hasn't thought of. Intercessory prayer is God's attempt to, to get us involved in doing what he is doing and doing what he intends to do through our cooperation. Okay, let me say that one more time. It's not that we're getting God to notice the situation, but rather it's God who's saying, I desire, I will to bless this situation through your prayers. That's the conduit that I'm intending to use. I'm not going to bless this person in this way apart from others or despite others, but through others, through their intercessory prayer. That's my will for this person in this circumstance. Now that's stunning. I want you to think about this, husbands and wives. Uh, Husbands are husbands. Uh, mothers and fathers, for your children, there are blessings that God intends to give to your family through you, through your prayers, through your intercessory prayer, through your persistent, consistent intercessory prayer. God wants to break into your family. That's what he's assigned for some of those blessings. Not apart from you and not despite you, but through you. Wow. Talk about a motive. Talk about a motivation to get going and and being an intercessor is that there are these blessings that God has established in connection to these relationships that he's established. 
Okay, let's talk about the importance of intercessory prayer. The first is this, is the experience of interceding is kind of like, it's kind of like the experience of fasting. And what I mean is this, you don't get it until you've experienced it. Like I can say to you all this stuff about intercessory prayer and how powerful and important I'm going to give these scriptures and try to motivate you and all that. And you might say, yeah, 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 I get it. No, you won't really, really, really get it from the inside. It won't be a living truth in you until you've really committed yourself to intercede for someone and watch what happens. Watch what God does in you in the circumstances, in those involved, you watch what God does. So the reality of becoming an intercessor is going to require the experience of actually interceding. You don't get it until you've done it, and then you've seen the power of it, and then you're like, wow, I get it. Okay. So let me just ask the question, well, when do we actually intercede? Well, let's not downplay, let's highlight the reality that we intercede most profoundly at Mass. Because Mass is the greatest act of interceding, where Christ the High Priest is at work, through the priest who's sharing in the high priesthood of Jesus Christ, the principal agent or actor at every Mass, and he's drawing his body into an act of praise and thanksgiving, but also an act of intercession. He's interceding. And these beautiful, beautiful acts of intercession are the acts of the communion of saints who are joining in with the Lord Jesus, the head of the body. And so there's a manifestation, there's a breaking through, a breaking in to our life in time on earth at Mass of heavenly intercession. We pray to the Lord, Lord, hear our prayer. And so don't doubt, don't forget Don't miss out on the reality that when you have a chance to offer your petitions at Mass, you also intercede for others. We pray to the Lord, Lord, hear our prayer. Bring those who are in your heart to the Lord. Be there on their behalf. Be there for others. Uh, uh, The... The some of the, the like the timing of this that people have often pointed to, and you see it sort of again devotionally, is at the time of the gifts come forward, and, and you have the bread and the wine come forward, and then you have the chalice, the bread and the chalice full of the wine with the water, um, lifted up to the Lord, blessed be God forever. Like those are the moments where you put into the chalice all of those you love, all of those you're praying for. You just bring them before the Lord. You just put them right there on that altar. Just give them over to God. That's a great and powerful act of intercession. So, uh, again, when you begin to live that kind of um, intercessor spirituality, you'll you'll experience the Mass in a new way, where you're not f- just fulfilling a duty, but you're there carrying dear ones before the Lord. I just use that metaphor intentionally. Why? I'll tell you in a minute on Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you. So today I'm reflecting on the the life of prayer and on one 
particular type of prayer, which is intercession. Right? We praise God, we thank Him, we petition for ourselves, but we intercede for others. And in the course of this program, I'm sharing with you some teachings, some principles, some practices, and some stories in my life and in the scriptures that are connected to this theme of intercession and of becoming an intercessor. Just before the break, I used the image of being at Mass and carrying those loved ones with you to the altar, carrying those loved ones with you to Mass and placing them into the chalice, onto the altar, to be offered to the Lord as part of that gift of bread and wine that will be transformed. They're our lives, but they're also the lives of those we love, those we carry in our hearts. We place them there and we lift them up to the Lord, and all of that will be transformed by the Spirit into Christ. With that great supernatural intervention of God that happens at every Mass, like to appreciate that. Well, this, there's an image of Scripture that is um, traditionally associated with intercession, and it's Mark chapter 2. And in Mark chapter 2, you might remember the story, Jesus is at home, and so he's in Nazareth, and uh, the friend, actually I think it's Capernaum, and so the friend, there are these friends who carry a paralyzed man on a stretcher, and they get to Jesus' house. And you remember the story, there's a crowd, big crowd overflowing. They can't get in. They can't bust their way through the crowd. And you know how that is, right? You've got people who like are very eager to be near to Jesus. They're not going to make room, even for a paralyzed man on a stretcher. And so what do these guys do? They're not going to be stopped. So you know the story, right? They climb up on the roof, and they dig a hole through the roof, that's big enough to lower the man on the stretcher to the feet of Jesus. And I want you to think about that, like really, really, really think about that. Just how extraordinary the efforts of these four friends were. First of all, what's it like to carry someone on a stretcher? Probably not just like down the block two or three houses, right? Probably quite a bit more than that. And so all of a sudden you're thinking, that's heavy. That's hard. That is a labor, ooh, a labor of love that's happening here. There's a labor of what? Great faith and hope and love that is at work in the carrying of this dear one who's paralyzed to get him to Jesus. This is the work of intercession. This is what an inter... This is, like, this is... You could spiritualize this story and say this is what an intercessor does. You're carrying the one you love. And, and oftentimes, who are we praying for with the greatest sense of burden, right? the greatest sense of, of like you're living in my heart in a way that is tremendously like painful and difficult? It's someone who's paralyzed, just paralyzed by life circumstances, paralyzed spiritually, emotionally, relationally, financially, health-wise, maybe physically paralyzed. But there's so many dimensions of people today who are just overwhelmed. They're overwhelmed. And we have a mission. We have an opportunity to carry them to the feet of Jesus. It's not easy, though. It's not easy. They get to the house of Jesus, and it's like, what do we do? 
the most natural thing to say is, well, let's just wait. Let's just sit down and take a break. It's been, it was a long, hard road to get here. It's heavy. Let's just kind of wait. Or let's maybe try to advocate and try to like get through the crowd. Can't you let them in? Come on now. Can't we get in? And that's not working. And like, what are we going to do? And then can you imagine who is it? Like, what is the conversation that's happening that lead these guys to say, I know, here's a great idea. Let's climb up on the roof. Like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> well, why would we climb up on the roof? Well, because we can then take the roof apart. We can make a hole. We can ruin Jesus's house. <laughs> this is Jesus's house. Jesus is back home. So this is the house of Jesus. Now let's break open his roof. And if you got a paralyzed man you're trying to get through, it's not a small hole. They didn't like just poke a little hole through and say, Jesus, there's a paralyzed man here. Can you come on out and just see him for a minute? No, they broke open enough of the roof to be able to lower the man to the feet of Jesus. That, wow, that is persistence. That is fervor. That is a commitment. That is, that's the heart of an intercessor. I will not be stopped until I get my loved one to the feet of Jesus. I will carry the burden. I will, I will go to the extraordinary lengths of getting on a roof. I will keep pressing in on prayer, pressing in in prayer, pressing in until the hole is wide enough to receive my friend until I'm confident I've gotten them to the feet of Jesus. And what does Jesus say when he sees this spectacle? He says, it says, seeing the faith of the friends, seeing the faith of the friends, he addresses the man paralyzed on the mat. And he says, your sins are forgiven. Well, okay, just stop and ponder that. Oftentimes, the people that we're praying for that are paralyzed are paralyzed spiritually bound up by sin, caught in this, you know what they're like? Here's the other scriptural image of the intercessor. It's like John chapter 11. It's Jesus coming to the tomb of Lazarus. Lazarus is dead, like four days dead, like body decaying dead. And there's a stone in front of the tomb and he's bound up in his burial cloth. I mean, there is like, you don't get much like worse off if you're thinking that person. Now, just to just translate that spiritually. Someone who's cut off from God, someone who's far away from God, someone who is bound up in their own sin, trapped in darkness, no movement at all towards the light. And then Jesus says, roll away the stone. He sees the tears of Martha and Mary. He hears their proclamation that if this would never have happened if you were here, Jesus, you're the resurrection and the life. And and then Jesus weeps. He's so moved by the words and the deeds of Martha and Mary. He says, roll away the stone. The intercessors, you want to be an intercessor? You're rolling away stones. Jesus is going to raise from spiritual death those that we're praying for. And our acts of intercession are pushing away stones. They're rolling away stones so that Jesus is, 
can say, come out, Lazarus. You know, you've heard me say this how many times. The word Lazarus means one whom God helps. That's what the name means. One whom God helps. And don't we want our loved ones that are paralyzed by their fear, by their sins, by the brokenness of their circumstances, by the life's happenings that have just bound them up and feel them clo- make, make them feel so closed off? Well, we want them to become Lazarus. We want them to become one whom God helps. And when we, we can do that by saying, Lord, sign me up. I want to be a stone roller awayer. <laughs> Make me a stone roller, not a rolling stone. Make me a stone roller. Lord, I will intercede until that stone is rolled away. I will keep pushing against that rock. I'm going to push and push and push until that stone moves. And you can speak the word of life. I can't speak any word of life to get them to go from spiritual death to life. But you know what? Those four intercessors who carried that beloved paralyzed one to the feet of Jesus, they got to hear Jesus say to that one, your sins are forgiven. The favor, the mercy, the fresh start, the new beginning, the healing, the restoration. All of these things come because of intercession because of the loved one's willingness to carry that one to Jesus. Now you might say, okay, Tom, these are great scriptural stories, but how is that actually concretely, specifically related to, um, to, the, to the reality of receiving answered prayers? And this is where St. Augustine provides a powerful answer. He says that when we pray, remember now, Prayer begins in heaven. It begins with the initiative of the Lord. He's not bringing, we're not bringing to him the people and situations that he's not noticing or hasn't thought of what to do. But he brings them to our hearts and stirs in us the desire to pray. And so when we pray, Augustine says, and we don't see the answer to our prayers, we don't see the Lord bringing about that spiritual resurrection. It's not that the Lord, again, is delayed or, or, or busy about other things or doesn't care. It's that the blessings we're asking for are so big, they're bigger than the situation, the heart, the person, the reality is to contain the blessing he intends to pour in. The hole isn't big enough in the roof to fit the, young, to, to fit the paralyzed man. So our intercessory prayer that is persistent, consistent, unwavering, unyielding, devout, uh, full of ardor, these are things that are stretching and breaking open a bigger hole so that the bigger blessing can come. Back in a minute. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. So I'm offering this teaching, these insights and stories about intercession in order to encourage you, in order to prompt you, to spur you, in order that you might be moved to say, I want to become an intercessor. I want to become, not just say intercessory prayers, not just say prayers for others, but I want this to become incorporated into who I am and how I live. And I say this, I know there are a lot of folks listening who are empty nesters or older in life, and you might feel like my time of offering fruitful service to the Lord is really narrowed down and diminished. No. Your role is so critical and desperately needed today. Let me give you two uh, 
two examples from our tradition, the scripture and tradition. The first is that in our tradition, this reality of intercession is intimately connected to mission, to evangelistic, uh, uh, fruitful evangelistic activity. So, for instance, intercessors are the ones who refresh and invigorate the spirit of missionaries and evangelists. Who is the patron saint of missionary activity in the church? Well, the answer is there are two. There are co-patrons of missionary activity. Well, the first one, if you've ever read of his life, you know why. St. Francis Xavier. Oh my goodness. Read his life. You will be blown away at someone who has become the embodiment of zeal to proclaim the gospel, zeal to announce Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. My goodness, what an incredible life. He is so fitting as a patron saint of event of missionary activity. Well, the other one is, guess what? St. Therese of Lisieux. Yes, that's right. A discalced Carmelite nun, a religious sister who entered the seminary as a 15-year-old and spent nine years behind the walls of a monastery praying. And yet she is the co-patron of missionary activity. Why? Well, in the brilliance of the church's mind, there is this intimate connection between the faithful, hidden, fervent prayers of those who are not seen like the Discalced Carmelites, and the fruitful, invigorating, courageous proclamation that happens on the front lines of missionary activity. So some of you may think, how can I be really involved in accomplishing the mission of the church today? And I say to you, become an intercessor. Intercede in the hidden way of the Discalced Carmelites. No one may ever hear about it, know about it, but when you pray faithfully, fervently for the gospel to go forward and missionaries to be blessed and protected and to bear fruit, you're sharing in the work of mission. Whoa. If you want a scriptural example of that, think of uh, Exodus 17. Exodus 17, 8 to 16, tells the story of Amalek, the Amalekites. Amalek comes and attacks God's people. He attacks Moses and Aaron with Joshua. And you remember the story, right? In the story, Moses goes up with Aaron and Hur to the top of the hill overlooking the field of battle. Joshua goes out to battle. And what ends up happening? Well, Moses lifts his hands to God. He lifts his hands up in the air. And that's a sign of what? Of prayer. That's a sign of prayer, of turning to the Lord. Whenever his hands are lifted in prayer, what happens on the field of battle? Joshua is winning the battle. But when he gets tired and lowers his hands, Joshua starts losing the battle. And so Joshua, um, Moses ends up getting Aaron and her to get a rock for him to sit on. And then they hold up one hand and the other. So there are intercessor, there's an intercessory group going on here. There's a prayer group happening at the top of the hill where they're holding up Moses' hands. And so their intercessory prayer is intimately connected with the winning of that spiritual battle. So I look around today and say, any spiritual battles going on? Well, yeah, everywhere there are these spiritual battles going on. And what do we need? We need more intercessors. We need more people gathering together or lift, uh, lifting their hands to the Lord. You can do it together with others. 
can do it together with others. Just make a commitment to do it in that way. And one way of doing it, Liturgy of the Hours, that's a beautiful, powerful way of joining in one aspect of Liturgy of the Hours is intercession. I'll talk about that tomorrow. But um, uh, the the reality of you can play a fruitful part in the spiritual battle of our time, in the momentous uh, battle that we are facing as a church. We need more intercessors, more intercessors. And so keep your arms raised to God and the church will win over the powers of darkness that are attacking us from so many sides. Okay, so this call to be an intercessor, what does it look like? Um, it becomes a fundamental part of how we live our lives. Uh, there's this famous quote by Rainer Maria Rilke that talks about this must like dig into your life, you know, these questions that you have about your life and maybe your spiritual life and, and go into the core of your being, into the heart till you discover this must, this thing that you will build your whole life around. That's what intercessory prayer can come, come to be like. Now, the scriptures actually give a really important theme connected to the reality of being an intercessor. It's not just something that you decide for yourself. It's something that is assigned by God. It's the Lord who says, I am assigning the call to be an intercessor. I am looking for intercessors. Who is willing to be in? And so Ezekiel 22.30 uses the most prominent Old Testament image for the intercessor, for the one who goes before God. And it's the image or the metaphor of standing in the gap. You probably heard that phrase before, to stand in the gap, to stand in the breach. That's what it means to be an intercessor. And what that's referring to is, guess what, a warfare imagery. And so um, the cities uh, at that time were often built at the tops of hills. Why? Well, easier to protect. You put up a wall, and you surround the city with a wall, and you can't get over the wall easily because you can't get above them. And so you've got to go through the wall. So when an invading army would attack God's people or attack a, a city on top of a hill, they would encircle the city, and then they would begin to attack the walls. They would look for weak points, and then they would start uh, putting all of their, um, their weapons, their, the rocks they would hurl and other attempts, to break open that wall. They would attempt to breach the wall to cause it to be torn down. If you can rent uh, that wall, uh, a hole in it, then all of a sudden now, You've got a gap in the wall, and the army can pour through. And so when that would happen, when they would attack a particular part of the wall that they saw was giving way, and eventually there was a breach or a gap in the wall, the, uh, the army inside the city, the city, what they needed at that point were warriors who were willing to stand in the gap, to stand in the breach or stand in the gap. It meant Go stand in the middle there. You know that place where they just broke that hole in the wall? Go stand right there in the middle of that gap. Well, guess what was happening in the middle of that gap? That's where the fighting was fiercest. Because the invading army knew, once we breach the wall, then we're going to pour our army through the wall into the city, and then it's game over. 
Once the enemy gets inside the walls, now you're vulnerable. Your buildings are, are, are likely to be set on fire. There are women and children. There's plunder, right? Game over. So the fighting would be fiercest once that wall had a gap in it. And what they would need is that warriors would stand in the gap, which meant to expose oneself for the protection of something, to make defense against any assailing danger, to take the place of a falling defender or supporter. Now that image of the warriors who'd be willing to go do that, to expose oneself to the fiercest place of battle, to face that onslaught, was the chosen image for an intercessor. That's what it means to intercede. You think it's just kind of calm, I'll say a rosary for you. No, it is taking up the weapons of warfare where you're battling for souls, battling for spiritual well-being and goods. So it's the fighting is, is fiercest, and so our battle is spiritual. It is against forces. It's battles for hearts and minds, and they're often one in secret. They're one in intercession. The second is this. In this analogy, in this metaphor of the Lord saying, I'm raising up an intercessor, I'm looking for those who will stand in the gap, he's actually saying, I'm looking for people who will take up the part of the people against God, rather than the part of God against the people. Did you hear that? (laughs) The one who's standing in the gap, God is saying, I need someone who will stand in the gap to withstand me. I'm coming at my people. My people have failed. My people have sinned. And now I'm coming unless I can find someone to stand in the gap. To stand against God and with the people who have sinned. That's a powerful last image I have to hold on. I'm going to end with today. But I'm going to pick up on this theme tomorrow of standing in the gap, finish up that reflection, talk about dynamics of interceding, and having a priestly heart of an intercessor. I hope and pray this was a blessing to you. Join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight. God bless your day.